Welcome to Bacon Church. <laughs> no, we're going to go back to and also with you because you guys really sang badly last week. Okay. I'm sorry. It was just awkward for me. So let's just go back to and also with you. Welcome to Bacon Church. Yeah, see, it's easy. If you weren't here last week, I uh, said that God was like bacon and idols were like turkey bacon. I, I, it just came to me. Uh, it, was just, it was just the way I felt at the time. I was hungry for some real bacon. I'm tired of turkey bacon. It's a bad substitute for the real thing. And so I used it as an il- illustration. And wow, did that open up a lot of conversation among bacon lovers on the internet. Basically, take your Lipitor, bacon rocks. That's basically what they said. So uh, somebody sent me this, for example. Here's the should I eat bacon flow chart, all right? Do you want to feel like angels are frolicking on your taste? buds? Yes. Eat it. No. You've clearly never tasted bacon before. Yes, but I'm afraid it will kill me. Are you a coward? No, I'm not. Then eat it. Yes, I am. Bacon will make you a true warrior. (laughs) I I, I just pass them on, folks. I don't know. How about this? Here's the real problem. Bacon has gone up from 79 cents per pound to $4.93 per pound, so we need to go back. We got to go. I mean, that's the problem. It's so expensive now. Um, or, 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 or we figured out this, you know, there is now no hope, no cash, and no jobs. <laughs> Kevin Bacon lives. There's still something for us. Isn't that awesome? Somebody even found a donut shop, Voodoo Donuts, that has a maple bacon donut. Some of you are nodding, you've seen it. Obviously, I didn't try it. I just used it for an illustration. Bacon rocks. We're, we're in this story. If you're new and you're like, what's going on here? Why is this church so weird? It's because we are. You're just going to have to deal with it. But we're doing this story, and we're going through this thing to try to help people understand how the Bible all goes together. And it's really important as we get to this part of the Bible, because when you get into the prophets and, and, and into Chronicles and Kings and all this stuff, it's really hard to keep track of, because the Bible doesn't put everything in chronological order. And God can put the Bible together however he wants to. It's a library of 66 different books that he put together, but it's not chronological. So today, we'll be in 2 Chronicles and Isaiah. And the same things are going on because Hezekiah is the king in 2 Chronicles and Isaiah is the prophet that is with him. As you're reading through, it's easy to get confused. If you read through the Gospels, you're like, well, you read through Matthew, and then you read through Mark, and you're like, wait, didn't this happen already? Yeah, there are four different examples, four different people's opinions about how Jesus' ministry went. Okay? That's why the story is so great, so that we can go through the whole thing as it comes together. When we get to Jesus' life, we'll be doing that as well. It's really important that we understand just kind of how the big puzzle picture all fits together. Okay? So definitely read chapter 17 next week. How many of you read 16 this week? Let's guilt it a little bit here. Okay, good. <clears throat> okay, and, and while we're guilting, if you look around, you notice there are actually a couple of seats available at the 11 o'clock service. So that's really good. Okay? Here's the problem. Last week at the 11, there's only a couple, literally. Last week at the 11, we had 80 people in the overflow, and we had cars literally drive into the parking lot, not find a parking place, and drive out again. And I don't know what happened to those people. And I hope they went to another church, or I hope they found God some other way. But that is what we've been telling you guys at 11 o'clock. That's why you need to get out of here. Now, here's the funny thing. We had a record crowd at... Uh, 
At, at, at the 345 last night, we had a record crowd. At the 545 last night, because people are moving over, we had a very full crowd at the 9 o'clock this morning. So people have moved over, but I can tell you that this is where everything's going to flow through. So how many of you next week are going to say, I'm not going to come to the 11 o'clock service. I'll come to one of the other ones. Raise your hands, okay? I'm calling on you. I need you, okay? One of these days, I'd like for the 11 o'clock to be less than all the other services. It probably won't happen because I don't know why, but when people visit a church, it's, it's just in their brain. They're going to go at 11. So the people that are driving in, not finding a parking spot and driving out again are people that might need Jesus. So I really appreciate that. Besides that, last week in our two-year-old class at 11, we had 50 kids, five zero two-year-olds, five zero two-year-olds. There aren't enough teachers, there's not enough room for 52-year-olds to work functionally in, in, a, in a classroom together if there's 50 of them, okay? So spread out to the other ones, and uh, we'll figure out what we're going to do with this. Really, really interesting. All right, so the kingdom is divided. There's the northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah, 200-year period, and 33 of the 38 kings in this 200-year period had this written about them at the end of their life. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. 33 out of 38. It's not a really nice time in Israel and Judah's history. And during this time, God sends nine different prophets to speak as warning signs for the people. To say, look, you're getting too close to the edge of the cliff, and you need to come back because you're going to fall, and it's going to hurt when you fall. And every time the prophets tell them this, every time the people ignore them, over and over again. The Lord, the God of the ancestors, He sent word to them through His messenger again and again and again and again and again because He had pity on His people. Now I want you to notice that. It's because He cares about us that he sends us the warning signs. But they mocked God's messengers and they despised his words and they scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. Again, it was because of God's compassion. Okay, that's why this happened. Listen to Elijah's prayer from last week. Okay, we did this last week. Elijah prayed, Lord God of Abraham, Prove today that you are God in Israel and that I'm your servant. Prove that I've done all this at your command, that this is your idea, God, okay? And... Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. That's the important thing. And that you have brought them back to yourself. This is always about a loving God who's calling his children to come back to me. Because this is the place where it's safe. And it's his children running across the street without looking both ways that the loving father is saying, one of these times, you're going to get hit by a car. So I want you to come back. So he sends prophets to warn them and warn them and warn them. It's not because he's mean. It's not because he's a dictator up in the sky. It's because he loves us. Please understand that. Jesus illustrated the same father from the Old Testament in the New Testament. It's the same God. And he illustrated in the New Testament that this father was so gracious and so forgiving and so caring that when the prodigal son who had wasted his family's money turned and came home, the father ran out to meet him, wouldn't let him even offer an apology, put a robe on his back and a ring on his finger, completely welcomed him back home and had a big, huge party. And that's what God does with his children in the Old Testament over and over and over again. Unfortunately, the prodigal people of the Old Testament don't listen. They mock the messengers. They despise what they had to say. It says they scoffed at his words. They scoffed at their words until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. Why would they do that? 
Because as I said last week, they thought they knew more than the God who made the sign. Why would I go have my picture taken at the edge of the Grand Canyon, as I did, ignoring all the signs and all the people telling me that it was dangerous? Because I thought I knew more than the people who made the signs. And in my case, I didn't fall off, so it turned out okay. And the more you do that, the more you think, you know what, nobody else knows anything. I know what I'm doing. And they thought they knew more than the God who made the signs, so they didn't listen. So for 200 years, God sent prophet after prophet, and he warned them and he warned them. And finally, he gets to the point where, where it says, the, Lord was aroused, the anger of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy. At some point, my kids keep running across the street without looking both ways. I'm going to get fed up. And look, the hammer's going to come down. Right, parents? I mean, at some point, the hammer's got to come down. Still for their own good, but the hammer's got to fall. So the northern kingdom falls. The northern kingdom of Israel falls to the Assyrians. The Assyrians are, are like Napoleon's army. They're like Alexander the Great's army. Okay, they were like the big dogs in the area. They were the people who were conquering everybody else. Bible records for us that they had 185,000 soldiers. Now, that's huge. And when God withdraws his hand of blessing on, northern, on the northern kingdom, the Assyrians just walked right in. I mean, they didn't stand a chance without God. Okay, I hate to bring this up, but I, I've got to illustrate this the best way I can. Assyria is basically Alabama in college football, okay? And everybody else is everybody else, okay? And I, and I, hate, to, I hate to bring that up, but from now on, we'll just refer to Alabama as the team that shall not be named, okay? Notre Dame fans, we'll just go with Valdemort on that, okay? Well, the team that shall not be named, Alabama, looked like an NFL team, and everybody else looks like a high school team. That's who Assyria was, okay? They were killing everybody. So meanwhile, the southern kingdom is standing back and they're realizing that they're next and they're watching what's going on and all of a sudden they start realizing, huh, maybe we ought to pay attention to these prophets, right? How many of you had an older sibling that made a lot of mistakes and got in a lot of trouble and you learned from them? Let me, let me see a show of your hands, okay? Even if you're sitting by them, go ahead and put your hand up, all right? Okay? Saved you a whooping or two, didn't it? Wasn't that great? Okay, now watch this. How many of you were that child that got in trouble and set the example for everybody? See, this is what, this is, I don't know what it is. Every service, I'm figuring out the troubled children go to Parkview. I don't know how that works. It's probably because that was me too. I feel you. That's, that's the way it works. And so the prophet on duty at this point, his name is Isaiah. And in Isaiah, the very beginning of his book, chapter 2, he gets into it. He starts saying, look, the Lord is tired of this. You're doing sorcery. You're practicing divination. You're worshiping idols. And even though God has blessed you up to this point, it's not going to happen anymore. And your idols, he literally says, will be left for the rats. And you've seen what happened to your older brother, right? Is that what you want? That's what Isaiah says. And he warns them, okay? Jerusalem is in Judah, and that's where we're at here. He's predicting this in Isaiah 3. Jerusalem staggers. Judah is falling. Their words and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. The look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They have brought disaster upon themselves. That's what's going to happen eventually at some time if they don't get away from the cliff. Now, honestly... That's also what we do when we study these things over and over again. You need to understand that. Okay? That's why we do this. When we ignore the Word of God, we get closer and closer to the edge of the cliff. And if we don't repent, which means to turn around, if we don't turn around and head back towards God, we're going to fall off the cliff. And a lot of you are facing this right now. 
and you haven't been following God's plan and you're teetering on the edge or maybe you've already fallen off and you know that you need to make a change and you need to do something. So pay attention to this today. It's going to be really, really important. Some of the rest of you know what I mean because you've seen somebody else fall off the cliff and hit the concrete. And you've seen what happened in their life. And you think, and maybe it was your sibling, maybe it was your parent, whatever, and you think, you know what, I'm going to do things differently. And you're here today, and you realize that you may, maybe you're not on the edge, but you just keep getting farther and farther away from God's standard. Well, let this serve as a warning for you today. Let this warning sign be here for you. Pay attention to it. The obvious problem is still standing right outside the door for the nation of Judah, Right? Assyrian army, the army, I'm sorry, the army that shall not be named, and 185,000 soldiers, and they've already conquered the, easily conquered the northern kingdom, and so now they're going to conquer the southern kingdom. They're next, right? Now, I did mention that there were 33 of the 38 kings that were bad. What that means is that there are five kings that are good. We study today one of the 38. Only five of the 38 were good. One of the five kings was Hezekiah. Hezekiah has been watching what's going on. And he woke up. He literally saw how bad things had gotten. And he woke up one day on the concrete and he said, you know what, we've got to wake up. We've got to do something different. I'll paraphrase what Hezekiah said, but this is basically it. Gravity hurts. That was the bumper sticker on his chariot. You know what? Falling off a cliff is not a good idea. And listen to me. Anybody who has fallen off a cliff will tell you that gravity hurts. Anybody who's seen their brother or their parent or anybody else fall off a cliff will tell you gravity hurts. So Hezekiah woke up, wrote the words to this song. Maybe you recognize it. I hope you'll listen to it because you've heard it on the radio, but listen to it in a new light today because it's time for us to wake up. You know... I just happened to have the TV on when the American Music Awards were on, and she demoed that song for the first time, laid it out for the first time. And, and I was, I mean, she did an incredible performance of it. Katy Perry's what I'm talking about. And I thought to myself, man, I wonder if this is the beginning of something in her life. Because she grew up in a preacher's family. I mean, she grew up as a Christian. She, she knows what happens on the other side of the cliff. And I, I'm hoping... I'm hoping she is being born again and she's coming back. I'm hoping that you got something out of the message of that song today that you understand that you need to wake up and get back away from here and come back to where God is. Hezekiah does. He figures it out. He's born again. He immediately cleans out the idols of the land. He removes them all and he does everything he can to try to clean the place out and try to come back to God. But is it too late? Because the Assyrian army is knocking right outside the door and there's still 185,000 soldiers. And the people are like, okay, we'll go back to God, but maybe it's too late because they're right there. Hezekiah gives another great speech. There's some great speeches in the Bible. This is classic. Especially when they start this way. Like, Joshua, does this sound familiar? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of, the, of Assyria and his vast army. Let's admit, let's admit the problem. It's a vast army with him. But there is greater power with us than with him. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's what he says. So with him, Assyria, is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Um, okay, so you're listening to this speech, right? You're like, nice speech, Hez, that's great, um, but 
It's not an arm of flesh. It's 185,000. Let's see, most of them have two. 370,000 arms of flesh. Hezekiah. I mean, seriously. I mean, do the math on this. I mean, just an arm of flesh versus God. That's great. I believe that. You know, God can handle that. But 370,000 arms of flesh versus God, that might be a problem. Hezekiah says, it's not a problem. It's still flesh versus God. It is not a problem. What is Hezekiah saying? Hezekiah is saying what lots of prophets said, every prophet said, everybody who wrote in the Bible would tell you, your daddy is bigger than their daddy. That's the bottom line. That, that, that could be the theme of the Old Testament. Your daddy is bigger than their daddy. Everybody wants to know that, don't they? Heard two school kids arguing on the school grounds one day, and one kid said, my daddy could beat up your daddy. And the other kid said, big deal, so can my mom. You know, I'm toast. This is not working for me, you know. You want to know that your dad can take care of you when you're a kid. And you want to know right now that you can take, that God can take care of you, that your father is strong. I love the arm analogy. It's so great, the arm of the Lord. It, it happens over and over in the Bible. When Job is complaining to God about all these things, finally God has had enough and he starts talking to him and he says, hey, do you have an arm like God's? And I think God flexed for Job back then. You know, I think he popped it up and the Rocky Mountains appeared. That's what I think happened. Do you have an arm like mine? Boom. Here we go. We can ski now. This is great. That's what I think happened. Listen to these other arm scriptures. I mean, there's a ton of them. I just picked a few. Told Moses, say to the Israelites, I'm the Lord. I'll bring you out from the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. In Psalms, it was not by their sword, the psalmist said, that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your arm. Your hand, your arm, the light of your face, for you love them. You did this, God. Your arm, Psalm 89, is endowed with power. Your hand is strong. Your right hand is exalted. All we need is the arm of the God. Arm of God. Arm of God versus everything else. It's not a problem. Okay, so back to the story. 185,000, 370,000 arms. They're waiting outside the gates, literally. But they're not stupid. They don't want to fight if they don't have to. So they decide to drop propaganda into Jerusalem. You know, they literally, they literally flew over with their planes and dropped little flyers down to Jerusalem. They, they sent people that knew how to speak Hebrew into Jerusalem to start spreading this message that came from King Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. And here's what he said. And you need to understand a little context of this. Assyria has been a strong army for a while. It's not just Sennacherib. They've been a strong army for a while. Here's what Sennacherib sent the message to the people in Jerusalem. Do you not know what I and my predecessors have done to all the peoples of all the other lands? Have you guys been under a rock somewhere? Do you not know how awesome we are? Were the gods of those nations able to deliver their hand from my hand? Who of all the gods of all these nations that my predecessors destroyed has been able to save his people from me? None. So how then can your God deliver you from my hand? Now, don't let Hezekiah deceive you and mislead you like this. Don't listen to the crazy preacher. That's what he's supposed to say, is that God is going to save you. But you can't listen to him. That's not going to make any sense. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you. Do not believe him. For no God of any nation or any kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my predecessors. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? What, he's calling out God. I mean, you don't really want to be standing by this guy right about now, do you? 
Basically what he's saying is, nobody else's God could protect them from me. What makes you think your God is better than anybody else's God? And this is important for us today, because that's what happens. That's what the enemy does. Before he starts attacking us, he starts spreading lies among us. He starts spreading lies in our hearts and in our heads. And he starts to tell us things like, don't listen to the stupid preacher. He tells you to trust in God, but that's never going to work. You need to fix this yourself. That's what he'll tell you. Don't listen to the lies of that guy. He's not... Don't listen to the lies of the Bible. God cannot save you. This is too messy. You're too much of a problem. You're on your own. God could never save your marriage. Look at how screwed up it is. I mean, there's just no way that could happen. He can't put the pieces of your Humpty Dumpty back together again. No possible way. And so what happens is a lot of times when the army of 185,000 soldiers is outside the door, we just decide that we're going to live in fear instead of living in faith. I mean, what, you know, what, what can anybody do against that? I don't know what the, that is in your life, but there probably is one, and you've probably been listening to a lot of lies that the evil one has been telling you about how God can't do anything about it. Listen, it's still flesh. And at some point, you're going to have to decide if you're going to trust the arm of flesh or are you going to trust the arm of the Lord. You know what a trust fall is? It's when you do a, do a little, you did a little fall and, and somebody catches you from behind, okay? It's a great way to demonstrate, you know, teamwork and all that kind of stuff. And there is this little moment, right, when you leave your balance and you're not sure if they're going to catch you. It's kind of a fun little awkward thing. It's a nice little test. It's a nice test of sisterhood if, if they got it figured out right. Let me show you. Close your eyes and just fall down, okay? Okay, then Lauren's going to catch you. Close your okay. Okay, it's called the trust fall. Okay, trust fall. Ready, set, go. <laughs> that is such a perfect illustration. God is there. He's got huge hands. He's got huge arms. And he's waiting to catch you. And you keep falling the wrong way. Why are you doing this? Well, what should I do, Tim? How do I do a trust fall with God? Let me shock you. You pray. Before you ever go try to do the battle on your own, before you ever go try to do anything else, you pray. Hezekiah, the prophet Isaiah, and the prophet Isaiah cried out in prayer to heaven about this. They didn't muster up the troops. They didn't come up with a strategy. They didn't do any of the other logical things that you would do if there was an army that shall not be named outside your door and there's no, that there, you know there's no way you're going to defeat it. The only thing they could do is fall back into the arms of God and pray. Well, what happened? If you've read this in your text... It just seems so small, and it's like such a, not a big deal. The Lord sent an angel, one, who annihilated all the fighting men and the commanders and the officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. So the king withdrew to his own land in disgrace. Do you see what just happened there? God sent one angel and wiped out 185,000 soldiers. There was no fight, there was no war, there was no battle. Just one Chuck Norris angel sent from God, right? And he wipes out the entire army. 
The Bible doesn't even make a very big deal about it, you know? I mean, I would have given a couple of verses to it. I would have described something. Or, no, what just sent an angel and boom. He just flicked his little finger. He doesn't need arms. All he needed to do was flick his little finger, and the Assyrian army was completely gone. Just like that. Do you see how much difference that makes in how you approach your life? Which way you're going to decide to do the trust fall? Do you see that? I mean, if you understand that's who God is, it should be pretty easy to kick back and let Him run your life. It makes all the difference in the world. So stop listening to the enemy of the propaganda. Stop listening to the things they tell you and just trust the arm, okay? Just trust the arm of God. Similar story last week. I didn't get a chance to read it. Elisha is a prophet. Last week, I'm on 2.12, and, and the servant of the man, of Elisha, he got up early and went out early, and he saw horses and chariots that surrounded the city. Okay, just the background on the story, the king of Aram was mad at Elisha, and he wanted to kill him. And so they were kind of running for their lives, and they're in this house, and, they, and that servant gets up early, they go out and let the dog out or whatever, and he looks out, and all of a sudden, there's an army all around them. And he, and he turns to Elisha and he says, Oh my Lord, what are we going to do? And Elisha said, Don't be afraid. Listen to this. Just read this with me. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Say it again. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant is thinking, What, what were you smoking last night, Elisha? Come on. You see that army out there? There's like three or four of us here and the dog. That's all we got. Right? And then you read the next verse. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. All we can see is the flesh. See, that's the problem. That's where faith comes in. I wish, I wish that just for a minute, God would give us a glimpse of the angels and, and the power that is in this room right now. I wish that just for a moment, God would get, let our eyes be open and let us see all the things that are around us, all the resources that God has at our disposal if we will just kick back and trust in Him. I, I wish that we could see it. But we have to go on faith. We have to believe it. We have to believe that it's there. Now, during this time, there's another little story that I've got to tell you because it's another thing about God. It all ties together here. Isaiah, remember he's the prophet, he has a vision during this time. And it's a very, very famous passage because not very often does somebody get a chance to see God. Not very often does somebody get a, a vision of who God is. John does in Revelation. Isaiah does a couple of other people. Moses got to see a glimpse. But not very often does that happen. So when it happens, it's really important. And it's funny because every time it happens, the same result happens. They see the same thing. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. I mean, it just sounds majestic and glorious. And above him were the seraphim, the angels, each with six wings. With two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Matter of fact, when anybody saw God, their description of God was holy. In Revelation, John sees the angels and they're saying the same thing. Holy, 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 three times, is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In ancient language, to repeat something twice meant that you had a lot of emphasis on it. To say it three times meant it was the ultimate description. Okay, in math terms, holy twice is holy squared and holy three times is holy cubed. 
Okay? It's 3D holiness. Holy high, holy wide, holy deep. It's everything. It's the ultimate description of who God is. And it's not strong. And it's not big. And it's not powerful. It's holy. And that's a problem for us. Because when we hear the word holy... You know, we tend to conjure up a negative image, right? Somebody who's ultra-religious, somebody who has to be perfect, somebody who's out of touch with reality. Those people are holier than thou, right? That's a phrase that we use. But that's, that's our problem. It's not God's problem. The word holy means to be separated. It, when, when, when Isaiah saw God, he said he was high and lifted up. It means that God is above everything, and he's so big and so massive that he's above everything. He's holy. And he's also pure. Yes, that part of it is absolutely true. He is clean. He is pure. There are no imperfections. And someday, even though I've been made holy now because of the cross, someday I'm going to really be able to live in holiness and understand that. And I won't be walking over here. And I won't be waking up on the concrete. And I won't have to worry about gravity hurting anymore because I will be holy. Holy is a good thing. And when Isaiah sees God high and lifted up, his response is, man, you are holy and I am not. When I saw this, I said to myself, woe is me because I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. Wow. When we see God, it makes us realize how far over here we've gotten. King Hezekiah did the same thing. We read, we read about him that what he did was in the first month of the first year of his reign, in other words, immediately as he got started, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord. He immediately decided to do something about it. He woke up on the concrete and the temple that had been closed, he reopened and he removed all the idols and he got the priest to set everything back up the way that God wanted it to be. And he said to them, listen to me, consecrate yourselves and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors and remove all defilement from the sanctuary. It's time to clean this puppy out, okay? We need to get this thing cleaned out. We need to get back over here. And part of the challenge for us, I think, is that unless we read the Bible, unless we understand who God is, unless we spend some time understanding the holiness of God, we will live in this zone over here because we don't know any different. Because we think that we're doing pretty good. We think we're pretty pure. I saw this email about the, the FDA and their standards for um, purity. You know, what is your standard of purity? You know what the FDA standard of purity is? It's really disturbing, so I'm going to share it with you. I'm going to get you to quit coming to the 11 o'clock service one way or the other. <laughs> this is the FDA standard of purity for apple butter. Okay, if you had apple butter this morning, do you want to know what the standard of purity for mold is in your apple butter? 12%. If the mold count in your apple butter is 11% or less, you're eating it. That's the FDA. How many rodent hairs do you think ought to be in there? Well, if there's three or less in 100 grams, it's acceptable. I mean, if there's four or five rat hairs in there, then, you know, they're going to throw it out. But if there's only three or less, it's okay. How's that for you? If it has five or more whole insects per 100 grams, the FDA will protect you from it. Okay? Okay, you're like, well, I don't even like apple butter. I'll take that off my list. Okay. Who had coffee today? <laughs> I didn't do this at nine. If you'd come at nine, I wouldn't have done it. Coffee beans. 
Coffee beans will get withdrawn from the market if there's an average of 10% or more that are insect infected. 10% or more. Or if there's one live insect in each of two or more immediate containers. If there's a live insect, every third container tastes like chicken. (laughs) The FDA says that mushrooms cannot be sold if there's an average of 20 or more maggots per 15 grams of dried mushrooms. I'm sorry if you like mushrooms. I'm just trying to help you out, okay? Hot dogs. Is that too far? Okay, all right. Beanie weenies for lunch. I know, I'm sorry, okay. You see my point? Where we live in our spiritual life a lot of times is we live over here and we think, you know what, I'm better than that person, I'm better than that person, I'm better than that person. And you know what? What you need to realize is the holiness of God. And when you realize the holiness of God, you're going to want to get, you know, we're get the maggots and the rat hairs out of your life so that you can go back to being who God wanted you to be. That, that's really important for us to understand that. You think you're living in a good spiritual life, but until you read it in the Word, until you're washed in the Word, until you see what's going on, you, you need to, you, you're, you're going to need to clean some stuff out of your life. Now, not so that God will love you. God loves you already. But the best way to live is over here by God. This is the place where He needs it to be. This is the place where you need it to be. What does Isaiah say? As soon as Isaiah figures out he's unclean and he's got a whole lot of rodent hairs in his life, he says, I am a man of unclean lips. And immediately, here's what will happen if you come back to God. One of the seraphim flew to me. One of the angels flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And then with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Please don't misunderstand what holiness is, okay? Holiness is not about us trying to feel bad for our sins so that God will like us. Holiness, a lot of you grew up in a a system where you thought you needed to earn the favor of God. That's not possible. If Isaiah saw a vision of God and all he could say was, holy moly, I didn't have any idea I was standing on the edge of a cliff, you're going to be way off the edge. You're hanging on by a thread because I know that I am, okay? And there's no way that you can be holy enough to get God to love you anymore because God can't love you anymore. That's not the point. The point is, when you see the holiness of God, God will forgive you. He will touch your lips. He will let you start all over again. And you can get back over here. Because here's, here's, what, here's what happens. If you're living over here in your life and you're just kind of hanging on over here, it's not very far to falling off the edge. The more we live like God... We're going to have setbacks. We're going to fall. We're going to, we're, we're going to have problems. But if we start here, when we fall, we're only here. So the angel forgave him. It's called repentance, okay? And it's, it's, a, it's, it's another one of those words that conjures up something for you, like I have to feel sorry for all the things that I did and come back to God and beg Him for mercy. No, no, that's not right. Repentance means to turn around. Old Testament and New Testament, it means to return to God. It is simply realizing that I'm the prodigal son, I'm feeding pigs for a living, my life is stupid, I'm on the edge of the cliff, I've hit the concrete, I need to get wide awake again and I need to come back to God and so I'm going to turn around and I'm going to come back to him that's what repentance is 
Okay? There's no way that you can make up for your sins. That's why God sent Jesus by one sacrifice. He made perfect those forever who are being made holy. His sacrifice, and we're going to celebrate that at communion, that is about God sending Jesus to become my holiness. My holiness, and God said be holy because I am holy, is not about me earning his favor. My holiness is about understanding who he is and where the place is that I need to live. Does that make sense? So I'm guessing that all of us, you know, need to do some confessing in this message at some point today. We're all people of unclean lips. We've all got idols. That's why I did that whole thing last week about the idols. It's not about being good enough. It's about understanding how God wants us to live. Because even in the middle of prophesying all of this stuff, even in the middle, I mean, this is Isaiah chapter 1, as he's just getting started saying, you guys are really screwing up. He says, now come on, pay attention here. Let us settle this matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. A lot of us grew up singing that song, whiter than snow, yes, whiter than snow, now wash me and I will be whiter than snow. You repent, you turn back to God. Isaiah even said it. And he will make you whiter than snow. So there are probably two directions you need to go from this story. I mean, there's a lot of information here. There's two probably directions that I think you're going to want to go. Number one, you may need to trust the arm. Okay? We did that already. You may need to trust the arm. Maybe in your life you've got an army outside the door, 185,000 strong, and the enemy has been dropping propaganda on you saying there's no way that, you can, that God can do anything about it. And you keep falling forward and you keep falling forward and you keep forgetting that God is there and he's got big arms and he wants you to fall into his arms and take care of you. So for you, we're going to spend some time in worship. I want you to trust the arm. And maybe today, the picture of God in 3D holiness, just coming into his presence for a minute, will flood your mind with all of the, the rodent hairs and the, and the, and the mold and the, and the bad things that are going on in your life. And, and, and you'll realize, you know what, I've been hanging out over here and I need, to get, I need to get some things straight in my life. God, would you help me to turn around and get back closer to you where I know I'm supposed to be living? I'm wide awake today, Lord. I want to be born again. I don't, I don't want to fall on the concrete anymore. I'm done with that. It's either trust the arm or return to the arm. I don't, I don't know which it's going to be for you. Maybe it's all of the above. But, but we're going to spend just a minute in worshiping. Let Jordan come and lead us before we have communion so that our hearts can really be ready to worship our holy, big, and awesome God. My wife told me this week, she said, you need to encourage the people because it's... This part of the story is starting to get old. She's, she always speaks truth into my life. But she's right, isn't it? It, it? it is getting old. You know what's going to happen after Hezekiah? Manasseh, his son, who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. We're, we're, we're just going to cycle back through this again. And it's, it, it does get old. But that's kind of the point, my friends. It, it, it's supposed to get old because it's not supposed to work. Following the law was never going to work. New Testament tells us that God gave us the law to show us how far away we are from the holiness of God. You, you see the Ten Commandments, you realize you've broken them. You realize you need to get back to the holiness of God. You realize who He is. But deep down inside with the law, there is no way for you to ever be anything close to holy, let alone perfect. So we read the story over and over and over again. And long about now, the prophet Isaiah came along and 
started telling us that, you know what, it's going to be a few hundred years yet, but pretty soon someone's going to come along who's going to fix this for us. They sometimes call Isaiah the fifth gospel because he spoke so much of Jesus. And we read this verse sometimes around Easter and Good Friday. This is his prophecy of this person who is going to save the world from their sins. This is the prophecy about the day of the Lord when somebody is going to come from the house of David and he will be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that was brought us peace gave me holiness is upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Because we all, like sheep, we keep falling off the cliff. We've gone astray, and each of us has turned to our own way. So the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's why we have Jesus. And we don't live in that Old Testament system anymore where holiness and following the law was what it was that got us closer to God. I'm close to God like that. My sins are washed as white as snow. They already have been. They have been in my life for 43 years. Since I first said, I'm going to follow you, God. And I was united with him in the waters of baptism. And the same thing can happen for you today. Maybe it has happened already. You just forgot. You've been trusting the arm of flesh. You've been falling the wrong way in the trust fall. We're going to have communion right now. And, and, and as the angel touched the coal to his lips in, in Isaiah's vision, maybe today as the cup touches your lips, the cup of the new covenant, it serves as the same reminder of your forgiveness. Let's pray together. We'll have communion. Lord, there are people in this room who need to turn around. They need to repent. And probably that's each and every one of us in some area of our life. We're just getting too close to the cliff. We're just hanging out over here way too much because we think we know more than you do or because we just haven't been paying attention to how many rodent hairs we've let into our life. And, and so we're, we're way over here in some area of our life, maybe in a lot of areas. And we need to turn around today. And I pray that right now we will turn back towards you like the prodigal knowing that you will welcome us home with open arms, that all you ever wanted for us was good in the first place. You didn't want the mold count. You didn't want the rodent hairs in our life. You wanted the, the, the purity. You wanted the good life for us. And Lord, as we take communion right now, we are reminded of the fact that we get it. We get the pure life. We get the holy life. Because even though we've got imperfections in our life, we have Jesus and he died so that all these things could be taken away. Lord, if there are people in here who don't have Jesus, let this be the time for them right now when they start their journey back to you, where they turn around and come back. As we take the sacrament of communion and let them think about the sacrament of baptism and the immersion into you and the public definition of what's going on in their heart, maybe that needs to happen too. Maybe that's a whole part of this experience. Whatever it is, Lord, we want to be there for them and for all of us right now. Whether the main thing we need to do is trust the arm or return to the arm. We're coming to you at communion. We're turning around and coming back. Thank you that you're going to meet us right here. In Jesus' name I pray.